May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Alexis de Tocqueville was a 19th century French philosopher and political thinker. He worked in the French government helping to work on uh, designing policy for the people. And in the 1800s, mid-1800s, he reser- uh, uh, received rather a commission to travel to the United States to sort of study the so-called American experiment. How has it been going a hundred or so years into it? And when he arrived in the country, he spent um, several years traveling ab- abroad and studying um, people and politics and situations. And, and, um, and he returned to, to France afterward and wrote a book called Democracy in America. And um, you can find it. You can pick one up and still read it if, um, if you've got um, quite an ample reading appetite. And uh, I would remind you that he wrote this at a time when the whole world was in a bit of chaos. Um, countries were moving from monarchies to democracies around the world. And this was not an easy process, as you might imagine. Um, Democracy in America might be the most misquoted book um, outside of the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and, and so for that reason, you know, there are a lot of things that you, you'll find that perhaps um, you want to check the source on. But I want to give you some quotes that are accurate, okay? Um, he writes this, as Duke Tavilla does. He says, The greatness of America lies not in being more enlightened than any other nation, but rather in her ability to repair her faults. I like that. The greatness of America lies not in being more enlightened than other nations, but rather in her ability to repair her faults. And that's true. Our nation, our forefathers, did not give us a, a perfect government. They gave us um, they gave us a government we could amend. <laughs> they gave us a government that we could fix. It was a flexible government. Um, our, our foundational legal document, the Constitution, is self-admittedly flawed or at least imperfect. How do I know that? Because it can be amended. You can change it. It can be, it can be altered. Um, and so not three years after the Bill of Rights, we have the 11th Amendment that was added to the Constitution to protect states from being sued, sort of the, the groundwork for um, um, uh, sovereign immunity. And then on and on. We have 27 amendments to the Constitution. Tomorrow, a process could be taken up to, to add a new amendment to the Constitution or actually to alter or change any of the existing 27. Even the Bill of Rights, it would be a Herculean task, but even the Bill of Rights could be changed or altered. Freedoms or rights that we now have could, in fact, be amended or taken away. So Tadok Villa didn't see the greatness, though, in the American form of government. He thought that was interesting and fascinating. But he thought the, the greatness of America really... Uh, was in the greatness of the American people. As he traveled around, it wasn't the policies and the governments and the structures of America that was so fascinating to him. Rather, it was the people. And, and Tocqueville had this strong view as a philosopher that, that no people could be great without a strong moral compass. That no democracy could last without a people who were a moral people. A democracy run by barbarians will collapse, in his view. And he writes this in in Democracy. He says, the health of a democratic society must be measured by the quality of functions performed by private citizens. The quality of the functions performed by private citizens. The quality of our nation or any nation is not measured by the chief executive or members of our legislative body or our ruling courts. 
The quality of our nation is determined by common citizens, people like you and me. We are what make our nation great or weak. He, he writes this, on close inspection, we shall find that religion, not fear, has ever been the cause of long-lived prosperity and absolute government. Religion, not fear, is the cause of a lasting government. And we know this to be true, don't we? We've seen people will rise up against despots. No matter what happens, no matter what price they have to pay, they will rise up against despotic leaders. But a nation that has true religion is a nation that has generally has peace inside and, and lives at peace with its government. One more from Hope Devilla. He writes this, Liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. Liberty, freedom, cannot be established without morality. This is a philosopher who traveled all over the world. He's a, a political science and anthropologist. He studied peoples in, in, in all sorts of countries all over the world. And he says this, at a time of, of great upheaval and, and a great, uh, you know, seismic changes in, in, um, in national and international politics, liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. There is no true goodness without faith in God. And I know that some of you perhaps would hear something like that and at first say, but you know, I don't know. I, I know my friend, you know, I have coffee with her at Starbucks and she's a total atheist, but she's a perfectly delightful person. And, um, and I like her a lot and she's a really good. Yes, of course. I know that too. I have people in my life just that same way. But here's what happens when all of a sudden there are great political pressures that come down upon people. And the, those who are the most powerful get to adjust the, the, the morality of the day. It will always benefit the powerful. So the morality can always change and be tweaked. And this is what ha- when this happens, liberty is destroyed. The bedrock of American liberty is not in the Constitution. It's not in our representative republic. It is the fact that we have been a people guided by faith. We have been a religious people. John Adams says, writes this in, to Thomas Jefferson. He says, the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, this is my religion. There are a lot of disputable things. But the morality of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, this is my religion. What then is the faith that has made this nation so strong? It is the religion of John Adams, the religion of the Sermon on the Mount. If we would want to know what has been the sort of bedrock part of, of, uh, of American freedom and strength throughout these 200 and some odd years, it is the, the issue of true religion. And I think the true religion is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in the passage today, the very core, the very kernel of, of true religion is found. Matthew 5, 43, the very beginning of this. You have heard it said, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and to others. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The core of Christian morality. One of the facets that makes um, uh, Christianity different from all other religions is this. The command to love one's enemies, not just one's family. Sure, you love your neighbors. Sure, you love your friends. Sure, you love your family. Jesus says, love your enemies. 
Now, I want you to remember that he preached this in Israel in the first century. It was an occupied country. There were Roman soldiers all over the cities. They were forcing taxation on a people who did not want to be taxed. We know something about that, right? There was true taxation without representation. Okay, and, and, and they were ready to hold on to this arrangement by force. They would kill anybody. And if you dared to speak against the Roman government, they had a cross waiting for you. This was reserved for insurrectionists. Anyone who would speak against the government. They were determined to hold on to this arrangement. When Jesus says, love your enemies, it's not theoretical. It's not um, abstract. It's concrete. Love that Roman soldier right there. And imagine what this does to the inside of a person. Imagine that you're someone who hates Romans. You know, like, of course you hate Romans. You've been taught to hate Romans all your life. And now all of a sudden you have to look at them and you have to see them like yourself. You have to see them as a person who's flawed, a person who is, who is, bears the image of God, a person who God loves as much as God loves you. When you have to see a person like that, it changes the way you think about them. And think about what it would do to all the laws of the land. It would either make them moot or redundant, wouldn't it? Love your enemies, of course. You know, yeah, of course I'm going to fix your lawn where I ran through it in the snow. Of course I will, because I would, you know, I love you. Of course I will respect your right to private property. Of course I will. Of course I'll give to you back what was given to me by mistake. Of course. I value you just like I would value myself. And while it's easy to imagine that in Northeast Ohio, imagine it doing it in ancient Israel. It's not good enough, Jesus says, to say, I love my family. <laughs> of course you love your family. Everybody loves their family. Well, some people don't, but most people love their families, right? Even tax collectors, Jesus says, love their families. Tax collectors were the lowest form of, of most loathsome type of people in ancient Israel. They were Jews who worked for the Romans. So they could collect taxes from individuals and they were even allowed to legally extort money from them to make themselves rich. And so, um, you know, if, if Phil owed a dollar in taxes, I could charge him five, pay the dollar to the Romans, keep four for myself. Tax collectors were hated. Even tax collectors love their families. Gentiles, people who have never heard the Ten Commandments, they love their families. Big deal. It's not enough. True religion is loving someone who doesn't deserve it. It's giving compassion to someone who hasn't earned it. It's loving not because of what someone does for you or their familial relationship. Be perfect, Jesus said as your Father in heaven is perfect. And this one comes with a lot of weight, doesn't it? I mean, you know, try to be perfect. That would have been nice, right? Um, I think this is what Jesus is saying. Aim for the goal, the teleos. The, aim for the object of loving just like God loves one another. This is what you are to aim at. This is what true religion looks like. It doesn't mean you achieve it all, but it means that you wish to do so. Our world has so muddled the word love. Um, 
I particularly like the word muddled for some reason. I don't know. But it has muddled it. Um, the other day I was making something and Abby said, you should muddle the fruit. And I said, oh, that's a great word. I love muddling fruit. Um, yeah, muddled. It, it mixes it up. It messes things up, right? And we've done this to love. The word love has been, it's been squashed down and crushed and kind of messed up. Love has turned into nothing but eros. Um, the Greek word uh, from which we get erotic. Love is always about this romantic, um, erotic love. There are four words in ancient Greek for love. Eros, that I just gave to you. Philos, which is like friendship love. Storge, which is like um, love that parents have for children. And agape. It is this last type of love that Jesus says. It's unconditional. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not based upon merit. It's the love that people ought to have for one another because they share God's love for one another. So back to Tocqueville. If liberty is dependent upon faith, ultimately, what we would call true religion, that liberty is dependent upon morality and morality upon true religion, I think he's right here. I think he has something. It says, to us, says something to us about the freedom that we have in this nation, this freedom that we celebrate this weekend. And I'm glad for the freedom that we have. I'm glad even for the religious freedom. I do not think, and this is just a little bit, this costs you nothing extra. I do not think that people ought to be compelled to be Christians. That Christianity ought to be legislated in the law. I love that we have freedom of religion in this country. You can be a Jew or a Hindu, a Buddhist or whatever else. Christianity is dependent upon the the freedom of a person to embrace it without uh, compulsion of law. It would totally destroy it if we forced it. But on the other hand, this, the greatness of America in its past has been the result of the prolific nature of the Christian religion in this land. I am unapologetic about this. The greatness of this country is based upon the prolific nature of the Christian religion in this land. And I think this is true. And if we ever lose the prolific nature of the church in this land, we will lose the essence of our greatness as well. We will be a declining, crumbling society. And it is very, very possible that it happens. It is very possible that the greatness of our country would go down because there is a great attack on true religion. When people come to embrace the Christian life, they come to embrace the Christian ethic. The ethic that I've given to you that is based upon love. That goodness is found in the way that we love one another. And this ethic breeds wellness in all aspects of life. It breeds prosperity and responsibility and accountability. These things are natural byproducts of the Christian faith. It breeds justice and dignity and respect. Okay, so all of that. Let me pull two levers. Can I just, just two? Not four, two. All right, all of that prelude to this. Um, What's the very best thing? that you and I can do for our country. If we love our country, what's the very best thing that you and I could do? We could embrace the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We could say with John Adams, the religion of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, that's my religion. That's what I do. The very best thing. We could love our enemies, not hate them. Now, here's where you might want to slide your feet underneath the pew of just a minute so I don't step on them. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a lie. Uh, anyway, uh, don't let people exacerbate hate. The news media? Oh, my, I know. You knew I was getting there, didn't you? You felt it coming. Right. Telegraph that punch a little bit. The news media that tells us to hate the opposing political party. 
to hate the people who are involved in that opposing political party? Do not hate them. Love them. Love them. For one reason, you might be wrong. I mean, there's always that possibility, isn't there? That, that you, Even if it's a deeply held opinion, it's still an opinion. Don't hate the political party or the people involved in it. Don't hate the politicians as much as they are almost easy enough to do that with, right? Don't go there. Don't hate outsiders, people who are not like you. Don't hate people who come from different places, different ethnicities. Did you hear the Old Testament lesson about the Lord who loves the sojourner? And he takes care of them. And he tells Israel, remember, you were sojourners too. Remember that. You don't hate people. Love them. I'm not talking about public policy here. I'm talking about the attitude of our hearts. Love one another. Love one another like God loves one another. First thing that we could do for our country is embrace the ethic of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The second thing that we could do is work for the propagation of the gospel in our land. The most important investment you could make in this country is the investment of faith. The most important investment you could make in the lives of people in this land or any other land is to expose them to the gospel because the gospel will change them. It will radically alter the way they live. It will change their lives in ways that nothing else can. It is the greatest thing in the world. And it could bring us the greatest amount of life and energy. Tocqueville traveled around this country and he saw not a perfect nation. But he saw a nation that was good because its people were good. And it was ready to make amends whenever it had, a, had a, a need to do so. And over the past two centuries, since he was here, we have seen amazing things happen. We have seen great courage. We've seen great patriotism. We've seen people who have, who have risen to, to, to face major obstacles in the world. Fascism. I mean, slavery. All sorts of, of, of evils. We've become a great nation, and we still have great work to do. But remember this. The greatness of our nation has has never been found in the cleverness of our wits. It's never been in the strength of our economy. It has always been in the moral fabric of our people. That has been the greatness of our country. And what makes this nation great, that alone will keep us free. And if we lose this, we will lose our greatness and we will lose our liberty. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.